Welcome to Conversations with Ask Ash. Conversations with Ask Ash focuses on people, processes, and outcomes. Ashley dives into everyday conversations around work efficiency, team productivity, and project execution. Let's get into the show. And now, your host, Ashley Schuler. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Conversations with Ask Ash. I'm super excited because I have a legal superstar sitting right in front of me. This is like a this is a change maker currently. And I've always admired this young lady. We actually went to the same school, different um, different uh years. And this this is actually a good first question before we get to the the first question, but I'm going to introduce Courtney Gore. We are doing Conversations with Ask Ash, the impact season. And if you've been listening, you know that this is not your typical season. We are really breaking down the walls between business, career, ministry, working in the community. And we're talking about how you can live with purpose and impact. And so Courtney has a, what do you want to call it? A gumbo of things that she does, but at the heart of her work um, is impactful and it's insightful. And it just, it honestly gives me chills. And her Twitter account is, you know, it's off the chain um, in more ways than one, but I get a courtside seat to what it is that she does and the work she does. Uh, welcome, Courtney. Courtney Gore, Esquire. Thank you for having me. I just want to say I, I, I am thoroughly buttered up. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here like, you know what? I, 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 yes. All right. I will, I will take all of that. I will take all of that. I will take all of that. Thank you so much, Ashley. Honestly, you're always so motivating and kind. So I really do appreciate that. But yes, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Oh man, this is good times. <laughs> this is good times. Courtney, I don't think we, we never officially met or how did we officially met? Was I coming back for homecoming? Did I run into you? Did somebody introduce me? It might've been because, you know, I'm a, I'm a pro athlete advocate of people going back to their collegiate home, homecoming. It was, it was definitely you. I mean, you're you're already such a vibrant spirit, period. But I think um, one thing for those who are listening who didn't have the pleasure of going to William & Mary, <laughs> the Black community is extremely small. And so we're very intentional, especially after we graduate, about making connection and staying connected. And we had professionals, um, faculty, staff, but also directors and other alum like Ashley who were connectors. And so you were very intentional about making connections, not just with people who were in your class, not just with people who were in upperclassmen um, that you knew personally, but people who were younger. You would make a habit to, you know, during a homecoming to reach out to people um, and Ebony Expressions and other great organizations that was our gospel choir. So it was definitely you making an effort to reach out. And because of that, we were able to connect being in the D.C. area. A lot of William & Mary alums, particularly the Black alum, end up in major cities like D.C., New York, Chicago. And so we were able to connect further. So that's how we, we met. And I That's it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. I was reading um, a lot, you know, just catching up on all all the things that you got going on. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the headlines, attorney, consultant, writer, professor. Which I much. <laughs> I, I want to say, I'm all of them. 
She's quitting all of them, people. But which one comes first, Courtney? Absolutely, attorney. Attorney is always number one, and it probably will be for a very long time. Um, Mostly because it's the most consuming. It's the one that requires um, the most engagement, um, and it's the one that requires the most energy. (laughs) And I love it the most, if I'm honest. I know you're not supposed to have a favorite child. I don't have any children, but my careers and my little pockets are my kids. And if I had a favorite child, it would be that of attorney. Love it. Number one. (laughs) Did you always see yourself in a courtroom? Yes. Um, A lot of people. And I think as you get older, you realize that attorney can mean a lot of things. When I was younger, you think attorney in the courtroom, arguing, yelling, throwing papers, making a scene. But then you get older and you realize there are attorneys who never touch a courtroom. For example, in-house counsel, you could work for a big corporation and you are making sure agreements, deals and compliance is all taken care of. Or you could um, be someone who works on contracts. You could be someone who, who, who is a consultant, a legal consultant. And so there are attorneys who never see the inside of a courtroom. Me, as you all can see, I like to talk. I like pomp and circumstance. I like rules of evidence. I like speaking loudly. I love suits. I love dressing up. I love the decorum. So court was always uh, my goal. I wanted to be in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. And Claire Huxtable, if you think about it. I know yes. she's a fictional character. I know she's a fictional character. But if we think about it, um, her and um, Claire Huxtable of The Cosby Show and then Maxine Shaw of Living Single, both of them were female Black attorneys highlighted in mainstream media. And both of them were courtroom litigating attorneys. And they're very different people, but them together is who I aspire to be as a career woman as an attorney so i wanted i wanted to be like them always a mesh of claire and maxine shaw attorney at law that man i tell you what (laughs) that living single um so what i love um about your particular journey is that you just let your your folks or your tribe on social media just you know just a preview of like your day-to-day goings on Mm -hmm. but you know can you tell us just in the in the context of what it exactly that you do? Yeah, so it's actually interesting. I think a lot of people are going through this. I'm experiencing a transition period. For five years of my legal career, I was dedicated to the nonprofit space. And what does that mean? That means I was working with people who couldn't afford attorneys. Particularly, I was working in immigration. And that is a wild, wild west, especially when you're dealing with people who are in immigration proceedings, who are facing deportation, who need help, don't have the money, and the courts are backed up during COVID. Language barriers, it's it's a lot. And so I was in that space for five years, particularly my main focus was working with children, children who had come here unaccompanied with no parent, um, without a designated guardian under the U.S. law and and trying to, to fight for their right to stay here and then helping them assimilate or just to acclimate them. I think that's a better word to the culture. Now, more recently, I'm taking all of my experience from immigration and family law and a little bit of criminal law. And I am on the other. It's not the dark side. I wouldn't call it dark side. A nonprofit attorney might say, oh, my gosh, you're chargeable. But yeah, now, (laughs) now I work for a small firm, I'm happy to say. uh, And it's its primary focus is domestic and family law. And I love it. And I'm still helping people very intentional about working with families and children. Um, And that is my primary work as an attorney. So day to day. Um, on my Instagram when I'm not cutting up and acting silly (laughs) and just being a a mess when I'm not doing that. Um, I do show clips, essentially my day and it's weird, but 
Um, I like to, to start my mornings, like most people, to try to get ahead of the curve, answering emails and client correspondence. And you'll see that there's a lot of that um, in the morning. But even today, I had a plan where I was going to meet with one client. I was going to work on some filings, file it within the court, meet with my legal assistant, meet with my team, get an understanding of what we need for next week, get out of here at 5.30. It is, Ashley, it's 6.47. What have I done? None of those things. <laughs> None of them. And that's okay. We had an emergency hearing uh, that involved, you know, uh, temporary custody. You know, we sometimes have people who are saying, clients who say, I need a protective order, you know, they, they fear for their lives, they might be in danger or, you know, an, an injunctive relief because maybe, maybe someone is taking property from a home during a divorce proceeding. And so your day can be planned, but I wake up in the morning knowing that I have to go with the flow and take the low road because I have no idea how the day will go or how long I'll be at work. Today, I don't know when I'm leaving, but that's okay because I love what I do, but essentially I work. <laughs> you work. Yes, I you work. do. Yes. And you work. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm imagining that, you know, prior to, prior to your transition, mm-hmm. what in terms of like that preparation of, you know, what you were doing for young children and representing them, like, what was that particular weight like? Were you, were you excited to get new cases? Did you feel overwhelmed? Mm-hmm. You know, what were, what were some of the things that also, that also just had you motivated to stay the course? Um, honestly, I think with any job, there's going to be politics. There are going to be things that just to turn you off from that work. And so there was a lot going on and there still is a lot going on in immigration, right? You turn on the news and it's one of the main highlights of any type of major news publication. Um, you also see people who are for or against it. Um, and then you come to understand, you know, this is how we can litigate for people or for children based on a grant. So we're, we're limited by a grant or we're limited by a government rule or, or there's a change in rules because it's a change in presidency. All of that uh, on top of working with detention centers, on top of visiting detention centers, hearing these stories. That'll turn you off and it'll make you think, you know what, <laughs> on top of working on a nonprofit salary, I got to get out, I got to get out of here. But then you see the child and then you meet with the child, you meet with the youth and you're like, you were, you, every time I had a meeting, I was reminded why I was doing this because if not me, then who? And while I have left that space, there's um, many other people who have filled my spot, right? Who I've worked with, who I feel like personally I've helped train and train up, who are ready to, to take the baton and to continue that advocacy. And so um, one thing that I constantly do, actually, I check my motivation. Um, and that's, yeah, that sounds weird. And a lot of, it sounds daunting for some people it's money. Um, and for me, if I'm honest, um, maybe that will be my future <laughs> motivation, but for me at the time and still is now is impact. I want to help people at, maybe it's a savior complex, <laughs> but I really do want to help people meet their goals. Um, and the legal space is one of the primary ways to help people reach their life goals. And so checking my motivation when I met with a child, when I met with a youth, when I saw the family reunited, when I saw the judge grant, whatever it was we placed in front of him after 500 printed pages of my writing and research, whether after, you know, two, three hour drives or two hour drives to wherever after sitting with the child and, you know, working through like language barriers, um, all of that and everything else, all the politics and silly stuff that I mentioned before really, really dissipated. Um, and so for me, checking my motivation, the children and working with vulnerable communities is something that really, really, um, keeps me going. Pages. It's wild. That's <laughs> it's a lot. Wild. 
of that is a lot. Yeah. But again, but in, in your world, in that in that legal world, I mean, there's all there's precedent. There's all mm-hmm. these things that are involved in what you're preparing. Absolutely. What is it? What is it like? You know, because I remember reading some of the tweets and seeing like you know that you you know closed the case, but it was like on the more victorious side. Mm-hmm. You know, when you mm-hmm. are approaching and that particular moment where you're like you got the court date, <laughs> everybody's getting ready. Is your mindset like game on, or are you, you know like what you know what is that sort? Is there a switch? Is there like a some type of beast mode switch you got going on? <laughs> oh yeah. I'll- be honest with you um at the time at the nonprofit with children you know we took one case or one uh for me at least i was working on one case or one trial um at a time and what that meant was i had a a exhausted portfolio of cases but only one was or three one or three were active at a time because we're working with children um but as i got further into my career and moved to nonprofits i started saying oh we got a lot going on when a trial was scheduled and a merits hearing was scheduled, because there's honestly, and anyone who's gone through a court proceeding knows, there's a lot of court proceedings until you get to the day where you can give your testimony usually. So when we get to the merits hearing, it is game one. And I have not mastered. I am looking forward to this part of my career where I can go home and turn that off. But when I'm in trial mode, I'm in trial mode. So I'm at home. Even if I'm watching Real Housewives, I'm thinking of that. <laughs> Yeah, even if I'm with friends, I might enjoy, you know, the Chardonnay, but I'm still thinking, oh, shoot, you know that I should include that when I get home. (laughs) So, yeah, but yeah, absolutely. It is pretty much game one until it's the end for me. And people say, oh, with time, you know, you'll turn that off, but I haven't gotten there yet. (laughs) No, I mean, I think that is like super important, especially since you are, I I think it's like the the passion, but it's also like Mm -hmm. the dedication to it. So I can very much understand like not being able to totally turn it off between, you know, being in one space to another and how it kind Mm -hmm. of follows you. Did you find yourself um, in a mode of becoming like an educator and putting that hat on because you did start a YouTube channel? Yeah. And was what were you were you seeing like a gap? Yes. Um, oh my gosh, yeah. Actually, I think I, and I think anyone who has a craft of some sort, you, I mean, if you're a photographer, people would DM you and say, "Hey, you know, my sister, she has a, a baby shower tomorrow. Can you come and take pictures?" Um, that that happens to doctors, you know. Hey, hey, you know, I, I know I have this rash. You want to take a picture, send it to it. Well, as an attorney, I got DMs and still get DMs all the time. I could be enjoying my day and it's like, hey girl, I haven't heard for you in a long time. So I have this real estate issue, right? <laughs> <laughs> Happens all the time. And that's why I'm always scared to open DMs because you know, now on Instagram, it shows they read it. Oh shoot, right. no, I, gotta, I gotta answer back. So what I did was, um, especially during the pandemic and previously, what was really, really big, Ashley, was, you know, get your LLC, start your business. And a a lot of young Black people became entrepreneurs for the first time within their communities or their circles. And they have questions. I mean, a lot of the advice that people were getting was start the LLC and that was it. And then tax time came around and they were shocked. Why? Because they're getting getting taxed. They're looking for tax ideas. They're looking for, they're looking for, oh, shoot, how can I, how can I um, justify this expense? Audits, issues like that. And so I saw a gap that I could not serve piece by piece, a la carte. Like I didn't have the time to do what it is I do in my full-time capacity and my, all my other jobs 
and also help my community. Because let's be honest, building equity, one way to quickly build equity um, is to have your own business and income outside of whatever is your full-time role is. All that to be said is I saw YouTube and I saw my blog, um, The Court Order. And if you're looking on YouTube, you can just type Courtney Gore in C-O-U-R-T-N-I-E. <laughs> but I did make, and I still do sometimes make videos for small business owners um, who are looking to say, okay, how do I set up my business entity? What happens when someone violates a contract? How do I set up a contract? Where do I go to set up a contract? Should I pay an attorney? Um, all of those things. So, um, and I also highlight small business owners, but all that to be said, there is a gap um, of what is, what is, what information is readily available to people. Um, if you live in a big city, for example, DC, UDC used to do something where they had free legal clinics, meaning that you could come on a Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m. Yeah, and get free advice from law students and pro bono legal um, professionals about your business. But if you live in a rural area or an area that's really impacted by, by COVID, where those services are even shut down virtually, you're stuck. And um, so I did see a, another avenue by which to help people. And that was to give just general resources. I'm not your attorney, disclaimer, but... <laughs> I can point you in the right direction so that you can make sure your work is is protected. Those videos, I was like, these are like super informative. Like, I mean, these are super informative. You're able to break everything down, um, you, you know, and you also, because of your feel, you also were educating also on DACA and also on, mm -hmm. on immigration too, as well. Do you mm -hmm. see your Do you see yourself as a content creator and doing more of that in the future? My friends say that they call me they they jokingly call me the content queen, and I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Even <laughs> even when I do funny things, they're like, girl, you belong on reality TV. I see that in your future. I'm like, okay, listen, I like my privacy, and I I don't think I can pull myself together enough to do that. But I do enjoy content, and I do enjoy helping people in whatever I do. I'm, I will say, people are like, oh, I'm being delivered from being a people pleaser. I don't want to be a people pleaser. I am. That's just the basis. I'm the eldest child. I enjoy the, the applause, um, a, a meritous applause, a warranted applause, not one that's vapid and vain. So it has to be earned. And when I earn that, it feels good. So when I help someone and I receive that, that those accolades, it, it feels really good. That being said, um, I do see my YouTube channel and my blog, which I have been neglectful in uploading to both <laughs> in this transition period, but I do see those as opportunities. Um, more recently, I uploaded a video that I did not promote like I should have. Actually, it was a video for makeup artist, hairstylist, and for nail techs. I know. Ow. I know. I should have promoted it and I still need to, but it's up on YouTube because what I see now is this argument between the client and the artist or the beautician. Yes. Right. The artist, the beautician is saying, you know, people walk out on their deposits, people don't pay me, people try to get their money back, um, people don't do what they're supposed to do. And then you have the client saying, well, they tell me I need to come with my hair already done. And, you know, they're telling me <laughs> I have to pay hundreds of wow. dollars for something that used to be $100 in my cousin's kitchen. So, you know, we see that battle legally. And for me, I'm thinking, okay, so how is it that you can legally, as a beautician of whatever sort, protect your work? and still give good quality customer service. So I'm working on a series with that too, but I need to promote that a little bit more. I need to work on <laughs> You know, as we were talking before, we were recording that there is so much right now in terms of entrepreneurship and people are taking their natural talents, hair yeah. industry, nail tech, you know, all those types of things. And 
you know, more and more, I'm even seeing more of the uh, lawyers that are entrepreneurs that are talking a lot about protect yourself. Like the, the, that theme is like resounding, like, you know, agreements, contracts, all yes. those types of things. And, and so, yeah, yes. it's super important. Yeah, go and ahead. One more thing too, for anyone who's listening, a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't need that. I've been good. And you, it's true. You may have been good, but I don't ever see or have someone come into my office. It's rare that someone comes to me and says, hey, I need your help with the contract on a preventative nature. So meaning they don't come to me when they're setting it up. They come to me when someone has done them wrong, when someone has breached the contract and they want their money. And so you want to be on the other end of that preventative. How do we prevent this from happening? How do I set this up so it's legit? Don't wait (laughs) until something goes wrong. Don't wait. Um, anyway, I'll get off my soapbox for that. <laughs> about not waiting, about be you know the importance of having legal protections and contracts. No, but we look yeah. forward to that. We'll definitely mm-hmm. we'll look forward to seeing that online because that's super important. Mm-hmm. Now, you recently stepped into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, was teaching on your radar? Mm-hmm. Was that was that on your radar? Um. So I don't know. I don't know if it was on my, what happened? What happened was, um, I I was in nonprofit and let's be honest, nonprofit salaries in DC. A girl likes guacamole on her Chipotle bowl. I like, I like champagne, you know, I like to order the Uber X. L, you know, sometimes I don't want to do an Uber pool. So that means I need a little bit more money. And I was thinking, okay, so how can I stay in the nonprofit world and get a side job that isn't retail or service oriented? Because people are awful. (laughs) Make a little bit more money. And so someone suggested, you know, you'd be really good at teaching. And I thought, okay, how do I break into that? When I was um, in my legal fellowship, part of my job was to mentor and work with legal interns, externs, and interns from all over, you know, the Midwest who were coming to work with us. And I built programs so that they could receive accreditation, scholarships, or what have you. And I was pretty good about teaching um, other attorneys about the law, immigration, asylum, other types of, of, of law and policy. Okay, I can I can leverage this somehow into an adjunct job. Well, it's 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 pretty competitive here in DC. Um, there are a lot there are a lot of schools, but I wanted to be in person. I wanted to be in front of a classroom, and I wanted to be with students I could relate to. I think that's really really important. And so. I I applied for a couple places, but University of District of Columbia spoke to me and they have a criminology department. Criminology is an interesting, interesting world. It's like the marriage of criminal law, social justice and criminal justice. And so um, I've been teaching there. Um, Typically, I teach two classes a semester and I love, love teaching my students. It's an undergraduate and community college levels. And uh, I'm obsessed with teaching. It's a great time. Um, But yeah, I actually am teaching two classes in the second summer session coming up in July. Wow. What are the names of the classes? Mm, So this semester or this summer, I'll be teaching issues in criminal law, um, which could be a five-year course, honestly, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) because we start each class with a question. So the question, for example, that I love to start with is, you know, is, um, are, are, are we all criminals? Is everyone in this room a criminal? 
and start with the discussion where people are just offended. Like, how dare you call me me a criminal? And then throughout the semester, at at, at the end of the semester, of course, I ask the question again, and I'd love to see how paradigms have shifted from, no, I'm not a criminal. I don't murder, kill, you know, I'm not a thief, but, you know, I have run run a stoplight or, you know, maybe, maybe I have, you know, driven drunk or maybe I've been um, loitered before, you know, thinking again and, and reframing what we think of as crime, what we think of as a criminal. Um, but we talk about everything from the death penalty um, to sexual assault. We talk about um, theft. We also talk about fraudulent behavior. And I say fraudulent behavior because we also talk about it with government agencies. That's a really big subject right now. <laughs> My students love that section. Um, <laughs> but yeah, issues in criminal law is one. And the second class I'll be teaching is that of um, it's it's I think they're going to change the actual title, but it's just criminology 101 or criminology one. And it's essentially a theory class. It's it's asking the question, why and how are people motivated to commit crime? So I, I think of that more as a philosophy Easy. class. Than yeah, that's why. <laughs> it's a wild ride. Um, so it, I like it because it gives my students the opportunity. And most of my students, honestly, go into it saying, I want to be a, a police officer. I want to work as a forensic scientist of some sort. I want to, you know, I want to work as a 911 dispatcher. Or They want to work on the other, on the enforcement side. And so Having them walk out of my classroom with some type of deep understanding of why people do what they do, having that compassionate um, approach to their work, um, at least is important to me as a professor and as an advocate. But yeah, those are the two classes I'll be teaching this summer. I mean, that's I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, just to be able to step into the classroom, be able to teach from what you love, but also, I mean, you're you're like you. I mean, you're preparing and studying right alongside them. Yes. Um, yes my I question is. Teach, you yeah. learn as you teach. Mm-hmm. Now, as a student, did you find the the perspective of being a, pro- a professor different? Like, because we're in the classroom, you know, and whether you whether students are like late to the class, you know, we've been late. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or when we look like we're not paying attention, like mm-hmm. you know. So, were mm-hmm. you seeing like were you seeing things from a different lens as a professor? Absolutely. I mean, it's. <laughs> I don't know how different, because what I will say is um, my students really don't know how old I am. They try to guess and Google. Uh-uh. I know I keep my social media private now. I'm, I'm so sad. I'm so sad. Actually, I will never be able to make my social media pri- um, public ever again, but they don't really know how old I am. And so one thing I will say that's beautiful, if you or I were to, to ever teach, and I, I do teach, but if you were to ever teach, um, you can relate, right? You can relate to a student coming in and saying, my computer crashed or I came Absolutely. Or, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm falling asleep. The one thing I will say about some of my classes, especially the evening classes, those students are usually returned students, meaning those students had a little obstacle or break in between high school and college. And a lot of them are single mothers. A lot of them have full-time jobs. Um, Some of my students are victims of hopelessness. Um, Some of my students are victims of domestic abuse. Um, some of them have really terrible destitute situations, but they, they have still said, I want my education, I want a career. 
And so what I will say is that I, I do also take that moment and see those moments as ministries um, so that I can say, okay, yes, you're going through this. Let's point you to the right resource. Because I will say um, in my time at William & Mary, I didn't have a whole lot of professors who said, would see me down bad and say, let me help you. And also say, let's help you with the schoolwork. Um, so I try to be both and point them to the right direction. Um, and so as far as, however, trying to pull a fast one on me, I'm pretty good at catching it. So the students who do things like, you know, I used to do this too. I hope I don't get in trouble. I used to make the periods, like if it was a four page paper, you know, if you make the periods, 16 font or 18 font, that gives you half a page. Little things like that. Or, you know, um, having someone else clearly write the paper because of the, the dictation. <laughs> I'm like, you have never spoken like this ever in my class. <laughs> what's, what's like, come on, come on, what's going on, Marcus? Come on, let, let's talk, you know, um, and, you know, all of those things. So just basically having a one up or te checking the met metadata to say, oh, I meant to email you this, but it got stuck in my outbox. Okay, well, the metadata says that you actually created the document today. So can we talk? Like, let's be real. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, I will say, you know, little things like that, I try to work through. Um, but I think being younger, a younger professor, I'm, I'm a little bit more approachable and compassionate than some others. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's the way I ch choose to do things. <laughs> you, you know, most memorable, just in terms of your career, like what's something that's that actually impacted you in like a different way. It was, you know, a particular mm -hmm. court case, a particular, like, maybe it was like something a professor said or a mentor. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot. Um, I will say I've been extremely blessed to have a really, really strange and wild ride as far as my, both my educational and vocational career. Um, never a boring moment. I think for me, um, I've always had received from my community so much praise and, and just encouragement and, and, and love. Um, but there was a time from one employer who, of course, will remain nameless because I like to stay employed. <laughs> and I, d I don't want anyone to think that I'm speaking disparagingly about them. But there was a time where I remember very vividly um, I had an employer with one or two senior persons who just did not see it for me. They didn't. And they didn't see it for my strategy. They didn't see it for my advocacy, even though I was successful and victorious and whatever it was that I. I did, it wasn't, it didn't fit into um, the structure that they had created. And they were very, very specific about how they wanted things done. And so at that time, it felt as if I was inadequate. I felt low. I felt as though, you know, well, maybe, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think that was such a wonderful, pivotal moment for me, because at that moment is when I realized that who I am, my work, my advocacy, my passion, my ability uh, to just litigate, my ability to be a people person, my ability to step in into any room and be heard and make sure that the voice of the vulnerable are heard is something that can't be attached solely exclusively to a position. It can't be. And it, it can't be boxed by someone else. And um, I was reminded of just how amazing and great I was. Thank God for my community. I, it didn't get me down, but it did give me a, an identity 
identity that was autonomous and separate from whatever role I was in. So yes, I might work here, but I am this person or this attorney or this professional. And I think that was pivotal for me. That type of rejection really did help me. Because before that, I really did take more pride in where I worked than what kind of professional and what kind of worker I was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think it makes great sense. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, this aspect of identity and then also being your job, you know, there, there are, there are different facets. They're not, Mm -hmm. the job is not you and absolutely not. And so it's super important that we're knowing ourselves, you Mm -hmm. know, through whether it's it's reading our books, whether, you know, it's through our faith journey, through, you know, influence of family and friends, but ultimately like knowing who you are, when did you, you know, when was sort of, you talked, you know, a lot, a lot right there about like that particular switch that kind of, tr- that kind of helped you get to that next level. Mm-hmm. Was there also something, you know, that impacted you that also just helped you to even change, like even whether it's strategy or approach or like just even getting just deeper into like the work ethic and the craft, you know, were there any particular moments? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, and, and this might sound silly, but I feel like with Every case that I receive, I feel like I am in, I have a lot of passion. Um, but what's more important than passion sometimes as an attorney is knowledge and expertise because you need to know the law. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in this time, uh, I think I mentioned this, I, I moved from the world of immigration, family law, criminal law, cesspool into solely family law, solely domestic relations. And that means for me, this moment requires me to go back to the drawing board. You'll see, I have it here. And you all can't see me, but I have a huge book, Maryland's Family Law. And after work, what I'm required, what it requires me to do is to turn on and go to the webinars, to attend every webinar I can, to read up on case law. And it feels like I'm back in law school. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay. It's important because essentially what I need is a case and a statute to back up everything I'm saying. Um, But this for me is important and it's sending me back to the drawing board of, okay, yes, I can speak loudly and command attention. I'm never scared in court. I know how to work with clients and get information. I know how to put together and write well. But what is the substance of what I'm, I'm pushing? How do I fine-tune my craft? And so now I'm going back to the drawing board and fine-tuning. What does it mean to be a sound, efficient, effective litigator in family law and domestic relations court? Oh, it means I have to restudy the law. <laughs> so that's where I am with that. No, I, I think that's that's really good because getting back down to, I mean, it's the base, basics, right? I mean, you're mm-hmm. getting and you're diving it in and you're looking at it f- for yourself. Do and you- that's not to say that I don't know it. Family law, because I come from children, but I'm, I'm working with people who now are seeking divorces. And divorce usually means money. Right. Who gets the house? Who gets the joint bank account? I don't Mm-mm. want her to touch my pension. I don't want, you know, the children. I don't want to pay for the tuition. So who has to pay for that? I feel like I should get alimony. I feel like I should get this. You know, I feel like I should get the, the vase from our, our marriage or wedding you know, it's a completely different world. And so it does require me to look a little bit more into money, <laughs> issues of money. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have any, like, uh, your own, like, Pope and Associates, like your own legal eagle crew? 
Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I will say this DC and some people don't know this DC per capita is one of the cities that has the highest per capita rate of attorneys. So oh, wow. you know, you, if you, you know, the Metro car, every other Metro car likely has an attorney sitting on it is what I saw. As a <laughs> the beautiful thing about that is while there are very few black litigators, there are so many black litigators here and there's so many wonderful black law associations to join, whether it's J. Franklin Moon, um, the Maryland Black Women Alliance of Attorneys. Um, there's also, you know, the Washington Bar Association, the National Bar Association. There's a lot of different bar associations one can join. I was really blessed, and I, I, this is a plug for those who are about to graduate and who want to be attorneys or who applied to law school, look into something called the CLEO Program, Council on Legal Education Opportunity. It's a program sponsored by the ABA American Bar Association. Essentially, you get six weeks. It's like a summer camp post-college <laughs> where you get a taste of what your law school classes will be like. Um, it's a really good chance also to meet recruiters for law school. It's a good time to negotiate scholarships. I was blessed to meet, and it's for minorities, minorities being racial, disability, or able-bodied persons. Um, it's also nationality, income, great time. And I met a lot of great girlfriends. Um, my, We call ourselves the sisters-in-law. It's so cheesy. Um, That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> are, we're all here. So some of them work in for government agencies, you know, whether it be, you know, the um, <clears throat> federal agencies. Some of them work for law firms. Some of them work uh, for nonprofits. Some of them work at um, big firms were big laws. So we all keep in touch and we all have meet up and have drinks and talk about how much <laughs> we go through <laughs> and how we can grow together. But yes, I do have my, my, my tribe of legal like-minded friends. No, I think, that, I mean, that's super important just because mm -hmm. you, you want to have folks that are just like, know what you're going through, like, yeah. you know, and kind of, and just band together. Um, yeah. Swap notes, we encourage one another and all that good stuff. It's really important because I will say, and I, I know I sent this to you, but not everyone will understand how demanding your journey is. And it's really not your job to make them. There's nothing more precious than someone who says, yes, I understand, who hears you out and really genuinely does, um, who understands what you have gone through to get where you are. And who understands when you say, do I want to do this anymore? Or who understands when you say, I don't feel like I can do this. Or who understands what it means when you say, well, I had an emergency hearing today. And I just, I don't want to do anything but look at a wall. You know, it's just people who understand. <laughs> no, no, that is so good. What would you say, um, and just in terms of the this next generation of, well, yeah, I guess next generation of law, law students, what should they be thinking about? Like someone that's listening to the podcast right now um, that's in law school, you know, what are some of the things that you wish that you knew, you know, what are, what are some, what are some tips? I think um, two things. I think one thing that was always pushed to me was that you want to find, you know, a mentor. And I completely agree. Um, my mentor was not, did not look like me. My mentor was an older um, white woman who was a former judge. The most amazing woman I know, basically like a second mom to me when I was in law school and throughout the law school process. And she continued to guide me, to introduce me to people, to recommend me for positions. If ever a recommendation was needed, I had the honorable insert name here as my recommendation. And what was pushed on me before that was, you know, find some, find other Black woman attorneys who will push for you. And um, I want to encourage people to, to know that mentors won't always look like you or have your experience. 
But finding someone who really, really believes in you and who can go to bat for you is is essential. Um, I also want to encourage people to understand the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. I think lawyer, all law students need both. So a mentor is someone who you can go to and lament and say, I really don't know if I should take an internship with, you know, the state department or the health department or whether I should take this, you know, associate position for the summer at a law firm. Um, I really don't know if I should take, you know, constitutional law part two or if I should, you know, think about immigration law. Mentors are there to help you with the big picture questions and to give you their advice and to let you a shoulder to lean on. A sponsor is someone who's already in the rooms you want to be in, who is willing to put your name in front of people. So you need both. Um, I was really, really blessed to have both, meaning um, there was a, an experience that I wanted at a law firm in Equatorial Guinea in Africa. Really, really wanted it. Did I have experience in energy law? I took a class, <laughs> but I really didn't have a whole, whole lot of experience outside of contracts law, which is what was needed. So I had a mentor who was already in the room, who knew the founder of the firm, who could reach out and say, listen, you want to hire her. You need her. This is what she's good at. He hired me. And so you need both people who are in the places you want to be. Those aren't the people you you go to when you need a shoulder to cry on. Don't do that. <laughs> but <laughs> don't do that with your sponsor. Your sponsor, you need to be clean cut, you need to have your best work put for it, portfolio put for it, uh, legal samples of writing ready to go. You know, you need to be able to talk about what you can do and improve yourself in an interview if they put your name forward um, and basically do everything they ask you to do. Go to those events um, with them, sit at the table, you know, forfeit, you know, a night to yourself to go to a, a, a gala or a gala with your mentor. That's the person that you go to for advice. And so if you can find someone who is a hybrid of both, great, but usually the people are different. And what a lot of people do, especially first-generation law students, they look for the mentor and stop. You need both. You really need both. So I would encourage people to find the mentor and the sponsor. And that means you have to do the work to show the sponsor, I am a viable candidate. How can you help me? And that was, that's good. The mentor and the, and the sponsor, having yeah. those, having both of those roles. And I imagine that they do change, mm-hmm. uh, you know, per the season or the growth or the opportunity, depending on where you, where you are. Absolutely. And yeah. I'll be honest with you, Ashley, for me, where I was once looking for sponsors, now I am the sponsor. Why? Because of that connection. It's yeah. really interesting. So now people will reach out to me and say, hey, you know, my daughter, she just, she's interested in law school. Can you help her talk to a recruiter? Or, hey, my daughter needs an internship. And I know you work in DC and I know you know people. Can you help her? And so you'll see the shift. You'll see yourself shift. <laughs> but you'll also notice that when you are seeking a sponsor, you know, what you want may change. For example, you heard me say that I was in Equatorial Guinea working on energy and oil and business and tax law in West Africa. I'm not doing any of that now. And so <laughs> my sponsor in that realm has definitely changed. Um, and so my mentor is the same. She's still an amazing person um, to have as a mentor, but my sponsor does change. So you you, you do want to keep that in Mind. And some priceless um, insight. As we as we wrap up, Courtney, what's what's next? You mentioned in the beginning you are in your transition. Mm-hmm. So so what's next? You are yeah. So what's next? So I, it's it's so strange. I am a Capricorn. I'm a working girl. I love love working. I love climbing. The climb is just thrilling to me. The climb. <laughs> It, it, it's so it's so climatic. It feels so good. But the reality is that I I think I've achieved for this time what I wanted to. Family law and working as an attorney at a firm. I'm professing. I have my website. I have my YouTube. I have my friends. I'm in the city I want to be in. I have a great tribe and 
and I'm healthy and what I'm healthy emotionally. I really want to focus on my physical health if we're being honest. <laughs> I think I think that's the big step. And it's not just for me, because I know self-care is big now. It used to be regrind, we y'all sleep, and now it's self-care. Um, so not just, you know, face masks, but also getting the amount of sleep I need to get, working out, eating, and not just eating to be full, but like intentional about what I eat, getting my vitamins, seeing doctor regularly, you know, and checkups. So I really want to make that a commitment because I would blame it on COVID, the extra, you know, COVID-30 or COVID-15. Mine is a COVID-30. Um, but the reality is that I have to make my physical health a priority just as much as I've made my vocational and educational careers a priority. So that's what's next for me, <laughs> making sure that I implement self-care physically. Well, I think that is a, that's a super important goal because mm -hmm. we need you, Attorney Gore, at your prime. We need you at your prime doing this work um, that you're doing. Um, so yes, that's amazing. And absolutely. And we know that you'll get there because we know, you know, what you value and where you are trying to go. So yeah, I'm just uh, super excited um, for, you know, the next step, next journey and just to see you go down that path. Absolutely. Thank you, Ashley. I really, really appreciate the space that you created. You're always, again, so encouraging, such a light. I've never seen you like sad or in a bad, in a bad mood. I don't think, is that even possible? Is that? It is. It does happen. Okay. It does happen. Okay. Yeah. It does. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Courtney, where can people find you? Where can people find sure. you? So before you send me a DM asking me for legal advice, I'm joking. <laughs> no, um, you can, my website is thecourtorder.space. So thecourtorder.space, you can find really great blogs, not just legal stuff. You can, for, you know, of course, if you're a small business owner, it's a good place to go, but there's also some fun blogs, funny blogs um, and things, places to contact me. Um, you can, I think that's a good place to start. And then YouTube, the YouTube channel is um, Courtney Gore. Just put that in your search engine, C-O-U-R-T. N-I-E, or as an Al Gore, no relation. I make an inappropriate joke every time someone, I don't know if I should say it on the podcast, but every time someone says like, are you any relation? I, I say that insert joke. I'll say it. Um, people are saying, oh, are you related to Al Gore? And I say, I don't know. Maybe his people own mind at one point, you know, so. Ah. <laughs> you said at one point. People get so uncomfortable. They're just like, oh my God. But um, yeah, you can find me there on YouTube or on the word order.space. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, Courtney. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thank you for having me and letting me talk my head off. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We're going to have all of Courtney's information in the show notes. And we are just so excited uh, to be connected with Courtney. And please connect with her. Ask her um, questions. Um, she'll point you to referrals and resources and all that good stuff. Um, thank you guys again for tuning into Conversations with Ask Ash, and we'll be back for another dynamic episode. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Ask Ash. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and follow Ashley on social media at Ashley Schuler underscore. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-H-U-L-E-R underscore.